Well, my name is Adam. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and I want to welcome you this morning. Everybody have a good week, restful week. Billy ate uh, plenty of food. We all know that now. And uh, I'm sure we all did. And, and I don't know if you're like me. I mean, I certainly ate way more than I should have on Thursday. Um, but my favorite part of Thanksgiving is actually not the, the first big meal. I mean, it is good. Uh, but my personal favorite thing about Thanksgiving uh, is the leftovers. Is anybody going to say that? A couple people? Okay. But, and, and, you know, like some food, like you can only really reheat it by putting it back in the oven because otherwise it turns soggy and nasty and gross. But something about every, pretty much everything you eat on Thanksgiving can easily just be put in the microwave and it's just as good. And I love Thanksgiving leftovers. So every year um, I tell my wife, Elaine, I'm like, buy the biggest turkey you can. And, and usually most years, now this year my, my parents were with us, but most years it's just our family and my kids don't even like meat. And so most years, Elena will buy a 20-pound turkey for the two of us. And really, it's like the two of us for one meal, and then I eat the rest because Elena doesn't really like leftovers. Um, but there's just something about Thanksgiving leftovers that I love. And so I will be celebrating Thanksgiving for about the next 10 days um, as I work my way through all the turkey, which is, which is so good. Um, and, and I don't know if you're like that or not, but, uh, you know, it, if, if you stop and think about it, um, you know, while the, the main meal is good, uh, it, it's not enough. If you were to think about it, like how unhealthy, aside from the fact that you couldn't survive, but how unhealthy would it be if you said, hey, I'm just going to have one meal a year. I'm going to eat everything I can at Thanksgiving. I'm going to stuff as much into, my, into me as I can. Hope it will see how long it lasts. Like uh, it, it wouldn't last long at all, and it would be terribly unhealthy. Even if you just said, I'll do it once a week. Like every Thursday afternoon, I'm going to make the biggest meal, the best meal, all the fixings, and I'm going to shove everything I can in and see if I can make it last a whole week. It, 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 aside from the fact that it probably would end up killing you, it's, even if you stayed alive, it's terribly unhealthy. And the same thing is true in our spiritual relationship with God. Um, for us to depend on one meal a year or one big meal a week to sustain us is really, really unhealthy. And so I really hope and pray that Sunday morning is sometimes like Thanksgiving for you, um, that you walk away filled um, both by the worship, that the, the lyrics that we sing and, and the hard work that our volunteers put into to putting the worship set together, that you walk away inspired and encouraged and that God pulls at your emotions and your mind and your thoughts. Now, I hope that through the teaching, you're learning something new, that you're being challenged and encouraged. Uh, I hope that meeting new people or, or meeting your, your, seeing your friends again on Sunday morning is encouraging and, and, and exciting to you. Um, but if this is all there is, and you try to fill up just on a Sunday morning and see if it'll last you a whole week, it won't. And it's going to, be, it's going to make your spiritual life really, really unhealthy. And so maybe we can take a lesson from Thanksgiving and, and realize that, that just feasting on one big meal and, and seeing how long it'll last uh, doesn't work out very well. Uh, and, and the cool thing about God is that His leftovers are just as good as the main course. Um, when you encounter God on Monday morning, on your own, in your Bible, 
It's just as powerful. It's just as rich. It's just as good as what you get on a Sunday morning. And, uh, and so it, one big meal isn't enough. And so if nothing else from this Thanksgiving season, um, I hope that you're encouraged and challenged uh, to, to seek God every day and to make it a, a healthy spiritual relationship. And, and we should still celebrate and enjoy the big feast. Um, but I hope that um, it's, just, it's, it's almost like a, a, a teaser for you um, that there's so much more to come. Now, we're out of Thanksgiving, and we're moving into towards the Christmas season. Uh, has anybody put up Christmas lights yet? One, two, three, four. Oh, oh, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. So normally we put up Christmas stuff on Thursday night or Thanksgiving night. Um, we didn't do it this year. I don't really know why. We just kind of were lazy, and there was like 730, and we're like, well, too late now. The kids need to go to bed soon, so we'll do it tomorrow, and then tomorrow turned in tomorrow, and then tomorrow is tomorrow, and maybe we'll do it tonight. But um, So some of you are ready. You're primed. Maybe you even had Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, but we're all kind of moving into that season. And so in as a church, as well as Christianity worldwide, we're moving into a very similar season, and we call that season Advent. And it's something that Christians around the world are celebrating today. And Advent, historically, traditionally, begins um, on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, which would be today. And Advent comes from Latin, and it literally means coming or arrival. And it's our opportunity. We do it every day. We do it every Sunday. But specifically at this time of year, we celebrate the first coming of Christ. But also, as Christians, we look forward to the second coming. And the first coming, Christ came in humility. And we know that in his second coming, he's coming in glory. And so while we remember and reflect and celebrate his first coming, his first arrival, his first advent, we also look forward to the second advent. Um, of Christ returning to finish what he started. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks uh, kind of gearing ourselves up towards preparing to celebrate the first Advent, but also being mindful of the second Advent. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, whether using one of ours, yours, maybe you're opening up your, your tablet or your smartphone to pull out the Bible app, turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 26 today. Um, And so we're going to look at 12 verses, and what I want us to do is I'm actually just going to read through these 12 verses. They will be on the screen uh, if you'd like to look there. And and then I want to pray for us, and then we're going to walk through these verses a little bit and uh, uh, take a look at, at what God wants to teach us today. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our opportunity to be together today. I thank you for uh, the opportunity to eat good food and spend time with friends and family, uh, to be reminded of all that we have to be thankful for and all your good blessings in our lives. And Lord, as we transition now to preparing for Christmas, to celebrate you coming to earth in humility, uh, to love and serve and die for us so that we could give you our lives and find true life. Lord, would you help us to, um, to understand rightly the power and the significance of your first coming and how that should impact the way we live now in anticipation of your second coming. Lord, we love you. Be with us in this moment. Speak and challenge and change each one of us. Lord, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to jump back to verse 26. And if when you walked in this morning, you were handed something, hopefully you were handed something that we call a worship guide. And uh, on the inside, there's information, and we'll talk a little bit about that information later towards the end of the service. But there's also a weekly schedule that we put in there um, that kind of gives you an idea of where we're going over the next four weeks. Um, And today we're going to be talking about faith. And as we talk and look at Scripture and and point out some things, uh, if there's something that strikes you, a a thought, a verse, some Scripture, um, whatever it may be, uh, there's a space on the back of your worship guide for you to take notes. And, um, and, and that space is there for you if you need it. Um, you know, some preachers are like the really good fill in the blank and every blank starts with the same letter and ends in the same way. And I'm not that preacher. If you haven't figured that out yet, I'm not cool and creative and hip. Occasionally I do it, but it's usually because I got it from someone else and took their idea. Um, I'm just not a very good fill in the blank guy. So this is an opportunity for you to take notes, whatever God's speaking and doing in your heart. And, and that's available for you on the back there. And so today we're going to be talking about faith and how the first advent should build faith in us and how the second advent should build about faith in us as well. So let's go back to verse 26 in Luke chapter 1. And I want to point out a few things as we just sort of walk through it together. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph Joseph of the house of David. Now, here's just an interesting key in fact, and um, maybe you've caught it, maybe you've never thought about it before, but um, it says that that Joseph and Mary uh, are betrothed to one another. And if you know the story of the birth of Christ, here in just a little bit, Joseph's going to get wind of Mary's pregnancy, and uh, as any fiancé would do, is rightly concerned. And the Bible tells us that Joseph, after hearing that Mary was, was uh, pregnant, he was going to quietly divorce her. Uh, now, that's an interesting word, divorce, because they're not married yet. But in the Jewish tradition, in this time frame, um, being engaged or betrothed, uh, and, and the reason that betrothed is used here instead of engaged, uh, is because it kind of forces us to think about how it worked in this time frame in the Jewish world, because for engagement for you and I is much different. Uh, today in the 21st century, to get engaged uh, is just a promise that one day we're going to get married. Some engagements are very short, some are very, very long, and uh, for each couple. But in this time frame, in this part of the world, for the Jewish people, 
to be engaged was actually a legal status. There were kind of like two uh, stages of marriage. There was the betrothal stage and then the actual covenant marriage stage. And so while you were betrothed to someone, um, you, you had all the obligations of marriage without the benefits. And so in order to break an engagement, you couldn't just say, hey, can I have the ring back? Um, I'm going to go pawn it, get my money back, move on with my life. It was you had to file paperwork to do an actual divorce because this was a legal, uh, you were in a legal status at this point. And so um, the Bible tells us that Joseph was going to quietly divorce uh, Mary, which actually sounds really bad. You're like, wow, great job, guy. Um, but is actually really quite loving because it says that he was going to quietly divorce her, which means he was going to try to show her as much love and respect and grace as he could by doing it secretly so that Mary could perhaps move with relatives in another town or village and have her baby there because um, to be pregnant out of wedlock, to have a baby um, with with an unknown father uh, at that point in time would have brought severe persecution uh, and great difficulties. And and Joseph was going to do it quietly, secretly um, to sort of protect Mary uh, as much as he could. But we know that that an angel showed up to him and and changed it changed his mind on that one so verse 27 a virgin betrothed so have you ever thought about that and wondering how that played out that's why joseph was going to divorce her because back then a betrothal was a legal status in someone's life and so it says to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david that's significant but we'll talk about it in a few minutes and the virgin's name was mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the lord is with you so mary uh is is there uh, an angel shows up and pronounces this great news, uh, starts off with, Greetings, O favored one. If I ever encounter an angel, that's what I want the angel to say to me. Um, uh, because there's a lot of other things an angel could say that don't, aren't so good. Um, but, but what an awesome way for him to introduce himself. But here's what's interesting, is Mary's reaction. And if you are familiar, and we've talked about this before, almost every time in the Bible, when an angel shows up, one of the first things they have to say to someone is, do not be afraid or fear not. Because to see an angel is an incredible yet terrifying experience. Uh, if Hallmark had its way, we would all associate naked babies with angels, right? Play a harp, lay on a cloud, very cute and adorable and cuddly and, 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 and those sorts of things, right? And no doubt angels are incredibly beautiful and precious. But if you start to think about the role angels play in most instances in the Bible, um, angels aren't cute, soft, cuddly little beings. They're warriors. I mean, how many times does when God's going to defeat an army, who is threatening his people, he sends angels out to destroy the army. That in front of the Garden of Eden, there were angels with swords to protect the Garden of Eden. When Isaiah has a vision of the Lord, he sees um, God's glory and surrounding God's glory are these angels. And the first thing Isaiah says is woe to me, which in Hebrew literally means I'm done. I am undone. Isaiah pronounced his own death when he saw the angels. Because while they're beautiful and glorious, in the same token, they're terrifying. Because most of the time we see an angel, they're carrying swords and wearing armor. 
they do proclaim good news, but oftentimes they carry out the will of God, and sometimes that will is not pretty. And almost everybody in the Bible who encounters an angel assumes the reason the angel showed up today is to pronounce my judgment. They're here to judge me. And almost everyone is filled with fear. And angels so often have to say, fear not, don't be afraid. I've got good news for you in some instances. And so even though the angel says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. In Mary's mind, she's going, what I hear and what I see do not match up. It says this in the next verse, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Like, is this, am I getting pranked right now? Like, is this angel pranking me? Uh, Because what I see, what I anticipate versus what I'm hearing don't match up. And so Mary's confused. She's unsure what's going on. She's trying to figure it out. And so the angel then says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. There's that name David again. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So we've kind of jokingly the last several weeks kind of talked about like if there were such a thing as a Jewish hall of fame, like this guy would be in it. This guy would be in it. We talked about Abraham, talked about Moses, talked about Isaac and Jacob, talked about some big players in the Jewish history and in our faith history. Talked about like if there was a Jewish hall of fame, if there was such a thing, there's some of these guys that would be at the top. David is one of those guys who makes it in. He's one of the guys that the Jewish people have cherished for a thousand years at this point. David takes the throne in about 1050 BC. And so it's been about a thousand years since the life of David, yet he's still so cherished. And it's for a number of reasons. One, he gave the nation of Israel a great identity. They went from being um, a rather small, insignificant group of people trying to put together some land and an identity and really turn them into a world superpower of the time. Um, great victories in battle. God did amazing things through him. And clearly God's hand of blessing was on his life. Um, and, and, but there were some promises made to David, um, just like we've read promises that God made to Abraham and to Moses. Uh, there was some promises made to David that the Jewish people really, really cherished. Um, it, I'm going to, we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to turn there, great. Um, if not, it's going to be on the screen. Sometimes it's going to be hard to find your way in the Old Testament really quickly. Um, but, so I'll fill in the gaps. But here's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. And this is a national, um, it's like a national announcement, basically. Um, the prophet uh, Nathan has come to give David some news from God. Uh, but this isn't like a one-on-one secret meeting. This is like, State of the Union address, all of the nation's going to know about this. Uh, It'll be broadcast everywhere. Everyone's going to hear about it. Uh, This is public news. And so God is giving um, some things to David. He's going to talk to him as as the king of his people. And it says this in verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, so God is talking to Nathan the prophet and telling him, say this to David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. So he's reminding David of his humble beginnings. He's saying, don't you remember when you were in the, in the, in the field, tending to your dad's sheep, 
Uh, you were an insignificant nobody, the runt of the family. Uh, when God proclaimed uh, to, the, to the prophet Samuel that the next king of the nation was going to come from a certain family, uh, Samuel went to Jesse, which is David's dad, and said, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And so go get your sons. We need to figure out who it is. Jesse goes and gets all of his boys except for David. He literally leaves David in the field with the sheep because he's a nobody. He's the runt of the family. He's the youngest. Uh, You can imagine, David spends his life with sheep. He camps with them. He sleeps with them. He's working with them. David does not smell good. He's not pretty. He's not well kept. He has no real talent or skills. So Jesse doesn't even go get his son. And eventually Samuel looks at all his boys and says, God has not chosen any of these. Don't you have another son? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, but he couldn't be king. But God looks at things that we don't look at. And he knew that David was the right man for the job because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so God is reminding David, don't you remember when I took you out of the pasture and I made you the prince over all of my people? So then God's going to go on to talk about, I've given you victory in battle. I've protected you. I've cared for you. Then he says this in verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He makes a promise in front of the nation to David that through David's line, there will be a throne that will never end. And the Jewish people always assumed that meant uh, that they would have world Uh, world power, uh, that they would always be in control, and that uh, there would be no ending to their great rule and reign within that part of the world. But God saw it much differently. But the Jews always held on to that promise. It's through the line of David that will come a king whose kingdom and his reign will never end. And so it's significant that when the angel comes and tells Mary, uh, he says that he's going to rule in David's throne because, because through Mary and Joseph, Jesus comes through the line of David. And so this promise is kept true by God, just not in the way that the Jews thought it would. Eventually, um, the kingdom would be established and it would have no end. Uh, Jesus will forever sit on the throne. There will be no end to his rule and reign and kingdom. But it just looked differently than they thought. And so this is a huge announcement that the angel is making to Mary. That Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. And then it says this as well in that same section. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And so we've talked about Jacob. You had Abraham, whose son was Isaac, whose son was Jacob. And we spent several weeks kind of talking about that family. Jacob will eventually be renamed Israel. And of his 12 sons, um, the youngest was Joseph who went to Egypt. Remember, we spent like several weeks talking through that story. And so again, another reference to God's promise to his people. Remember, the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was that your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. And I will bless you so you can be a blessing to the world. Through you, I will bless all the nations of the world. Again, they had a different understanding of what that would look like, but eventually it was Jesus. He was the blessing. He came through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's the one who's been a blessing to all the nations of the world. It was not limited to one group of people in one geographic region. 
but it was through that line that the blessing came. So let's keep moving on. Um, we need to get through this through this passage. And so um, the angel makes this declaration, and Mary said to the angel, "How will this be? Since I am a virgin, a, a legitimate question." But it wasn't a question of disbelief. It was a question of have misunderstanding. How I, I don't understand the process this is going to take. I don't understand how this is going to work out be, because that's not the conventional method. Like We're skipping some steps here, God. I, I don't understand how this is going to work. Like To, to go from A to D, you've you got to hit B and C. And we're skipping a few things. I don't understand, but the angel's going to comfort her and give her better understanding and it says the angel answered her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and so he's giving mary confirmation that god doesn't have to follow conventional means god doesn't have to take the same steps that you and i have to take that god can get the result that he wants in any way in which he pleases and sometimes you and i have a hard time with that in the same way that mary was having a hard time connecting the dots you and i do the same thing in our own lives okay i know god can do this but it has to go a b c d and i'm still on step a so i guess god's not coming through i guess god's not going to show up i guess god's going to make me wait even longer and god says i can go from a to d Anytime I want. I don't have to follow the conventional steps. And so the angel is trying to reassure Mary that God's in control. He's in power. And he knows what he's doing. And here's here's a really cool thing. I love verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren and and as another confirmation for mary the angel saying just to prove that god can do what he wants when he wants with whom he wants your relative elizabeth who could never have children and now is well beyond the years of ever being able to have children is pregnant as well so it doesn't matter if people tell you your time hasn't come yet or your time has now passed Nothing's impossible with God. And is another confirmation where Mary's saying, I'm not ready. I haven't followed the steps. For Elizabeth, she said, my chance is over. I had my shot and I missed it. It didn't work out for me. God says, it doesn't matter whether it's not yet your time or your time has passed. If it's God's time, it's the right time. Maybe some of you feel that way in your life. You say, uh, my time hasn't come yet. You know, maybe, maybe I, I, I'm not seeing this because I haven't paid my dues yet. Some of you are saying, I feel like maybe my time has passed. I had a shot. I had a chance. But maybe it's too late. I'm too old. I've lost the skills and abilities that I need. God says, when it's my time, it's the right time. And it doesn't matter what other people say. And it doesn't matter whether you think you have to follow conventional steps or not. Uh, When God wants to move, He's going to move. For nothing will be impossible with God, verse 37 says. And this is really 
the main verse for us today and, and really why we titled this uh, the theme for today, Faith. And it says this, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Now we have the advantage of being on this side of the cross and the resurrection. You know, we say hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look back and go, yeah, everything worked out for Mary. It all went well. God proved himself faithful. It all happened. Um, so, of course, she can, you know, the angel's standing there pronouncing this good news. and Of course, she's, she's going to go along with it. I mean, God knows what he's doing. He's powerful. But we have the advantage of being on this side of all of these events to look and go, in the end, it did all work out. And, and now we can look back and say, of all the women in the Bible, and there's a lot of them who should be honored, and a lot of them whose examples we should uh, follow and learn from, Mary is up there at the top. But imagine what's going through Mary's mind. How well do you think her village people took it? Yeah, I'm pregnant, but it's okay, it's God's. Oh, okay, we won't stone you then. That makes sense. How do you think Joseph's parents reacted? Got yourself a winner there, Joseph. Yeah, she's real faithful to you. Yeah. I mean, imagine that conversation. They're going, Joseph, you have got to end this. You cannot marry this girl. She obviously is not faithful to you. She obviously has no integrity or character because she's sleeping around with people behind your back and she doesn't even really know who the father is. And she's crazy. She thinks God did this to her. Can you imagine that conversation? And Joseph trying to go, no, I trust her. Uh, I believe her. They wouldn't even give Mary a room when it was time to have the baby. You can have your baby in the barn because that's what kind of woman you are. This was not an easy journey for her. All of her expectations for life changed in an instant and everything was going to be more difficult. Not only did she have to endure the pregnancy as an unmarried young girl, But even the process of raising Jesus had to be terribly challenging. Of knowing that that God has blessed you. And while God is in control, and while Jesus is going to grow up to follow the will of His Father in heaven, bearing that weight of trying to raise Him? Like it's enough just to raise like a mean little sinful kid, right? Who's selfish and is going to steal and lie and cheat. Because you don't feel bad about disciplining him or, or you're like, well, I mean, I'm going to do my best, but it ain't going to be my, all my fault, right? But the weight of trying to raise Jesus, knowing God's special plan for him, knowing Jesus is going to faithfully follow God, but the weight and the pressure, everything about her life changed. We have the advantage of being on this side of the cross and the resurrection and saying it all worked out. It all worked out and it was all worth it. 
But in that moment, while the angel had wonderful news, the weight of the news is hard for us to even really imagine or grasp. And her response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. All the difficulty and challenge was in front of her. And she said, if this is what God wants, I'm all in. I'm all in. If this is how the Advent comes, and if I have to pay the price, so be it. I'm all in. Our faith is made possible because of the first Advent. But our faith isn't supposed to be focused solely in the past. It's not just about what Jesus has done, but about what He's going to do. Yes, we celebrate something from the past at Christmas. But our faith is so much more. It's been 2,000 years since Christ came to this earth. Yet all of eternity is still before us. Because Jesus is not going to return in humility again. He's going to return in glory. It will strike fear in everyone who sees it when He comes again. And there will be no question as to who wins the battle in the end. For all of eternity, He will rule forever on His throne. And our faith is not just built upon something that happened in the past, but what we trust and know and believe is going to happen in the future. Following Christ, preparing for that future, can cost us greatly. It brings about a lot of challenges. There'll be plenty of conversations that people have about you and I behind closed doors about how we're crazy. About how we're disconnected from reality. And there'll be a lot of challenges to be faced. And I hope that this Christmas season that God does something in you to build a faith like Mary's. That you would say, I am the servant of the Most High. Let it be according to His Word. If if God says it, I'm all in. Because I'll do whatever it takes to be ready and prepared for that second advent. Whatever it takes, whatever He's decreed, whatever He calls me to, I'm all in. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You for our time our time together this morning and Lord I pray that it would be a feast that coming together on a Sunday morning would be an opportunity to fill up and that we would walk out of here encouraged and challenged changed we'd be filled with hope and faith that we wouldn't be focused on ourselves and our own inabilities or weaknesses or failures, but we would be focused on, uh, on your power and your glory and your future reign. God, would you fill us with faith?
Fill us with the kind of faith that Mary had, that no matter what it took, no matter what it was going to cost, we would be your servants and that we would follow you, that we'd be filled with faith and trust that you're God, that you don't have to follow the conventional steps, that it doesn't matter if others say our time has not yet come or our time has passed, that we know that if it's your will, it's the right time. You'll use us in the ways in which you see fit. Would you use us? I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment, if you will. You know, like promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac, to Jacob, like promises that he made to Moses, promises he made to David, God has made you and I a number of promises. One of those comes from John chapter 14. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for um, some of the events that are going to take place about his death and his betrayal, what that means. He says this in John chapter 14. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again take you to myself that where I am you may be also God has promised us Jesus promised listen if I go it's because I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I am coming back there will be another advent then Jesus says something interesting to his disciples in verse 4 of John chapter 14 he says and you know the way in which I'm going Thomas, one of the disciples, speaks out and says what probably all of us would have been thinking. Jesus, how can we know the way if we've never been where you're about to go? And then Jesus' response is one of the most famous verses in all of the New Testament. Jesus, when, he, when, when Thomas says, how do we know the way? Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. It's through, because of the first advent, that access to God and our future in heaven is made possible. And it's because of the second advent why we live our lives differently today. This morning, I the challenge for you is if you have not yet trusted and believed in what Christ has done to place your faith and trust in Him as the way, the truth, and the life for, for our spiritual reconciliation and, and re, reuniting with God. He has come in humility and next He will come in glory. We give him our lives because of what he's done, who he is, and what he's promised to do. God, would you continue to move in this place and in this moment? Would you challenge and speak to each one of us? And as we continue our worship through singing, through prayer, through communion, 
Would you build that faith in each of us? Lord, we love you, we trust you, we pray all these things in your name.